Hi, this is Mary Coughlin, and I want to welcome you to the Care Out Loud podcast, presented to you by Caring Essentials Collaborative, founder of the Trauma-Informed Professional Certificate Program and internationally recognized leader in trauma-informed developmentally supportive education for parents and professionals serving babies, children, and families in crisis around the globe. I'm wicked excited you're here as we talk about caring out loud. In each moment lies a unique opportunity to create a kinder, more connected and compassionate world one moment at a time. And it all begins with you. back again with Dr. Marley Smith to take a deeper dive into the amazing research she's doing specifically around touch and how all of this really aligns with the concept of trauma-informed care. Thanks so much for joining us. I was a big fan or still am a big fan of the group um, out in Northern Italy, um, Provenzi, Monterosso, Fumagalli, Mm -hmm. that group. Um, And it feels like there's a lot of um, maybe what's the word synchronicity maybe um, with the work that you're doing as well. Um, I saw, you know, you're doing, look, you're looking at DNA methylation, right. you're looking at toxic stress. Um, so I, I was just curious if there was any kind of community with that. In a there is it, but that would be an interesting thing to form, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think it'd be really, really cool. Um, <laughs> I mean, and what got me into those guys and similarly for your own work as well is, you know, what my passion is, is really about talking about um, trauma-informed care. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think, you know, that language in and of itself it needs to evolve too, but I think we're at a place where people really need to recognize that the experience of these individuals, the experience of their families, and, and us as well as clinicians is trauma. It is, it is right. traumatic to have a life-threatening illness. It is traumatic Absolutely. to not know if your baby's gonna live or die. It's traumatic for me as a clinician to bear witness to this suffering day in, day out. So, yes. you know, I think people, I think people are starting to, starting to, you know, use the language and recognize what it is. But I wanted to ask you, you know, um, with no pressure, of course, you know, but, um, you know, how does this meld or inform in any way the research that you're doing? Oh, it's at the heart of what I do, really. So my work takes a life course perspective and life course theory posits that what happens to us early in our life changes our biology and it sets us on a course for how we develop over time. And we know that children who experience traumatic things early in their life have higher rates of cancer and heart disease and diabetes and all of these lifelong chronic illnesses. And stay in the NICU, I would like for people at large and clinicians in particular to recognize that the NICU is not just an inconvenient start to life. It is a traumatic early childhood experience that forever changes these babies. Yeah. Um, it changes their brain architecture. It changes their biology. It, become, it gets under their skin and affects them for the rest of their lives. Um, there's some really interesting recent research coming out now um, looking at 
adults who were born preterm and these adults have no outward diagnosable developmental disabilities, but they're finding that their brains under MRI look different. Their brains mm -hmm. are just different and their biology, their bodies respond differently. Um, so my hope is that people will recognize the profound effect that a NICU hospitalization has on the babies and their families. Yeah. Um, and it interrupts that early bonding, which I think is so important. But the more we can do to bring moms and dads and babies together and to buffer the effects of the things that we have to do to save their lives, I think we're going to have better outcomes. Yeah, for sure. And I, I love that you shared that um, kind of emerging research that is really identifying these adults that were born premature are really kind of beginning to be their own patient right. population, right? And, and really identifying there are some unique uh, morbidities associated with that early life history. There was a, a really cool, you probably saw this, um, uh, it was over 6 million premature babies across four Nordic countries. Um, Risney's was the lead author. And um, they stratified all these premature people and looked at their, um, what do you call it? Uh, risk index, you know, risk, um, okay. adjusted risk index. I, I might not be saying this correctly, but um, for adult morbidity. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it was, I mean, soup to nuts. Every single uh, stratification of the, the premature people were vulnerable. I mean, you know, the more premature you you were kind of higher on that uh, risk scale, but even full-term people that had, you know, NICU hospitalization uh -huh. uh, were at risk. And it wasn't just the non-communicable diseases that you listed, but it was also psychopathological. Oh, absolutely. Um, so yeah. So I have yeah, I have this hypothesis that in the NICU, because we're not able to provide as much comfort as we would like. Um, that babies, particularly if their parents aren't able to be there, that babies experience every interaction as threatening. We get yeah. in there and we stick them. And so as they mature and they go through puberty, every interaction, every environmental yeah. exposure is threatening. And so they do develop um, depression and anxiety. And I think there may be a connection there. Um, but it's not all gloom and doom either. I, there was <laughs> another study that came out recently showing that uh, kangaroo mother care or skin-to-skin -skin contact in the neonatal period affected adults up to 20 years of age with positive outcomes. So that's a really great thing, which leads me more to think about this touch and touch yeah. from clinicians. And, and I like, you know, your focus on the buffering. I mean, we already know there's a lot of is stuff, you know, it's just, this is the way care is provided. But, you know, I mean, or the, or the necessary medical interventions that these individuals need, but there are a myriad of opportunities that we have, right, to buffer that. And I love that you're using that vehicle of touch. Um, I mean, it's just so, um, so essential as a human being, right, that that feeling of touch. Um, I had the opportunity many, many years ago um, to work with the late Dr. Stephen Hoth, out of um, Cincinnati Children's. And he was the, I guess he was the chief maybe of the Skin Institute they have out there. And, um, and he was talking about the, you know, that the skin is basically externalized neural elements. I mean, he's, he said it obviously much more brilliant than I did, but that it's, you know, it comes from the same germ layer and all this really cool stuff. Um, and when you think of it that way, it really does change 
um, you know, how you look at it. Cause you know, skin, yeah, everybody has it big deal. You know, you got yours, I got mine. And it, we, t we tend to minimize then the magnificence of it, right. The, the potentiality of it to, right. to serve. And so I, I like, you know, when you were talking about the conductance thing, what a cool vehicle to really get a sense, sense of, you know, are these folks feeling chill or are they feeling freaked out? Um, right. Because it does seem like that would be such a super sensitive way of making those assessments. Right, right. Oh yeah. my gosh. And, you know, and skin is such a, and touches such an important social mm. um, aspect as well. I mean, it's how we communicate as humans when, you know, our nonverbal adult ICU patients, we touch to let them know that we're there and we yeah. touch to let them know that we're comforting them. And it's sort of the same thing with our babies. Mm. I, that's why I liked in the touch intervention, we had the nurses start the care with the touch as an introduction, you know, hello, I'm about to work with you. So the babies aren't shocked that they're being handled, um, but they're being touched. Right. Well, you know, coming back to that paper, um, I, and you had mentioned this earlier too, about gloved versus non-gloved and really help trying to understand what is driving people to use gloves you know, when it's not indicated, right? I mean, right. That, that we've created this slippery slope, you know, it feels right. like with the use of gloves um, to the point where now people can rationalize. I mean, people say, well, the baby could throw up, you know, right. well, yep, they could, you know, um, right. but right. I, does that, is that why you're wearing gloves all the time, you know, right. and helping people see the risk benefit of right. doing that. Yeah, I don't think, I think that when we put on our gloves, we don't think that there's any negative to doing that until we start thinking about, well, they're not getting skin to skin contact. And there's just something about our humanity that requires mm -hmm. that skin to skin touch. And not to say that gloves aren't necessary sometimes, and Absolutely. there isn't great research out there about using them universally but my fear is that we use them well the literature tells us that we use them to protect ourselves as you said because we're afraid the baby might throw up on us but we use we found in this in this survey study that we did that nurses do it because they're afraid of getting in trouble because they don't know what the rules are yeah um so i'm hoping nurses will sort of challenge that paradigm a little bit and mm -hmm. say show me the evidence let's do what's evidence-based here to take care of these babies so that we don't harm them in trying to do what's right yeah. for them well, and I think then that just kind of points right back to you then um, in, in getting the, the evidence right. out there um, right. so that people can make those informed decisions about what's the science telling me. I mean, I know what my soul is telling me. Right. Um, and I, you know, you like to operate from that place, but sometimes it's, it's not looked upon well, <laughs> you know, when you're operating from that, uh, you know, decision-making perspective. Right. Um, we do need the science for sure. So in your, um, in the work that you're doing, how do you see your research impacting the world? You've kind of shared some short-term information, but you've also yeah. mentioned about the lifelong stuff. Well, my hope first and foremost is that others will acknowledge um, a NICU hospitalization as a traumatic early life experience. Um, I hope that we can reconnect with our patients um, and that I can find ways to do that, that we can develop not just one, but multiple interventions to buffer those stress responses. That would be a long-term goal of mine is so that nurses have lots of tools in their toolbox um, 
for different situations that they can pull out and use to help babies. Um, I would also say that I think it's important, I'm continuing these observational studies to look at the biological mediators of stress and neurodevelopment because I think the more information we have, the more compelling the argument is that we need to do something about it. Right. Um, so I have those two arms to my research. And I think, I hope that that will influence the way that nurses provide care. And I'm hoping that nurses will continue to challenge the paradigm, how we care for babies and really understand how, what a, honorable, important part they play in these little people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I you know, you gave me a little bit of goose flesh there because that, that's exactly how I feel about this, you know, and, and I think what you've just shared is that's what it is, is to care out loud. To care out loud is to really care mm -hmm. that much that you're, you're giving it your all. You're going to do everything that's in your power to make an impact. Right. And that's risky because when you make yourself vulnerable oh. like that, you open yourself to criticism. And you know, every paper I submit, I think, oh, some if somebody else reads this, what are they gonna say? <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I think it's worth it. It's worth making ourselves vulnerable. It is, it is. Mm -hmm. And it, and it, it's being it's being courageous. I, I I like the word that you use there, vulnerability, but um it takes courage, right, to allow yourself I, to yeah. open yourself. To, to that vulnerability. And I think too, you know, when you, when you, when you're open about this, you know, um, somebody might not like it, it might not be perfect. Um, and instead of like beating yourself up about that, it's like, well, what's the, what's the worst thing? I'll learn something new, right? You know, I'll, I'll get, I'll get reset on a, a different path, you know? Mm -hmm. And for someone who gets paid to learn and read all the time, <laughs> That's pretty cool, right? It's pretty amazing. It really is. You get paid to make mistakes and to learn. <laughs> yeah. And, but I think we have to kind of like get that out there too, as particularly to our nursing colleagues, that it's okay. You know, I mean, you're going to make a mistake. You know, you're going oh, to, yes. practice is going to change. Um, it's okay. You know, to, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, for people to embrace the reality that life is continuous change. Absolutely. And, and we're part of that. And we need to look to changing and evolving. I, I'm sure you've heard this a million times, you know, um, when you ask someone why they're doing X, Y, and Z, they'll say, oftentimes, that's the way we do it here. Mm -hmm. right. and, you're, and you think to yourself, oh my gosh, how long have you been doing it this way? you know, and caring out loud is really asking the questions respectfully, you know, with love. Oh, sure. Um, but inviting them to take that moment and say, hmm, never really thought about this. this is just the way we do things here. Um, you know, it, it, when you were sharing about the paper, you know, you wonder after participating in that survey or even through, through the process of the survey, you, want, you wonder and hope did a few nurses kind of reflect on, well, no one's ever asked me this question before. Right. Maybe I should think differently about this. That would be amazing. Yeah, I think as nurses, we have, we are the voices for our babies. And my role in that is to help interpret what the babies are trying to tell us through mm -hmm. the measures that I use. Um, so I'm just the interpreter and the nurses are really the ones speaking for these babies. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty neat opportunity to have. 
It really is. It really is. So I'm going to hit you with my last question, okay? Um, and you and you've been building, you know, and and maybe you've already answered it, and it's okay. But um, what is the one big thing? The one big thing that you um, will will let you know that you have made an impact. You know, um, if there's some outcome, some future reality that you could be a part of, what would that be? That would make you feel fulfilled. So this is a really hard question because. I make goals, certainly. I have, you know, what I'm going to do next week and what I want to do next year and five years from now, but I don't live my life to try to accomplish a goal. Um, I have a very firm, articulable set of values. So I try to live my value. And one of my strongest values is that I want to be a productive, contributing member of the neonatal community. That is way up on my list of values. Um, so I think that as long as I am working every day towards meeting that value, it's never achievable. You know, I could put out the biggest paper that gets the most citations, but I still haven't met the value. The value is still there. Mm -hmm. So I think there's always work to do. So I think that I can live comfortably with myself if I'm continuing to live my values. And that one is way up on my list. It's just to be a contributing productive part of this, of this neonatal community. Um, for the purpose of helping babies and their parents and the clinicians that serve them because i think oh my gosh what yes what you're doing is absolutely beautiful that you that is the the most profound answer ever um, <laughs> it really and truly is i was like ooh, you got me there you know I, I wasn't expecting that but you will you'll always be contributing you'll always be growing and evolving and people the world the babies will always benefit from what you are contributing, um, you know, to the science and to those, you know, to those that you serve, right? The, right. the clinicians and the babies and the families. Oh my gosh. Right. Um, so I, I listened to just a handful of Brene Brown's um, podcast. Oh yes. I love her. <laughs> I love her to death. And, um, and I, I like how sometimes she'll ask folks um, like a really kind of bizarre question, just so that people can kind of get to know, um, you know, the person behind okay. the, the degrees and stuff like that. So I'm going to ask you this question um, and we'll see what it reveals. Okay. Okay. Um, so what is on your, your bedside uh, table? <laughs> That's a great question. Okay. You're going to laugh at me. Oh, you're going to laugh. <laughs> Good. <laughs> hey, if I'm going to be totally honest. Yes. I have about three thriller murder mysteries that I want to read. <laughs> And I have my Catholic Bible. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Depending on my mood when I go to bed that night is what I pick up. And that, that is, is my awesome. honest answer. That is my honest answer. <laughs> that is so awesome. And that is definitely, I would never have guessed that from, you know, all of our conversations yep. today. That is fabulous. Yep. And probably a whole bunch of like hairpins because when I go to bed at night, I just pull out whatever's in my hair and throw it on my bedside table. So. Oh my gosh, I love that. Oh, Miley, thank you so very much. I really, really thank appreciate you. This. this was so enjoyable. Thank you. You are the best. So I, I, I'm going to go ahead and um, stop the recording and then we'll, but thank you so very much. Oh my gosh, thank fantastic. you. Thanks so much for listening in. I hope you'll join me next week as I get to interview Dr. Livio Provenzi 
a brilliant psychologist and psychotherapist who has an extensive and impressive background in the behavioral sciences, infant research, neuroendocrinology, epigenetics, and neuroscience. And to take an excerpt from Livio's um, CV, his work focuses on understanding how what happens between us in our human relationships helps to shape what happens inside us, the neurobiological connections that make us who we are. See you next week. And remember, showing up on purpose makes the difference. And that difference begins when we care out loud together. Thanks.